You're listening to the podcast Bible Companion series by author P.H. Thompson. This is a chronological Bible study going chapter by chapter, discovering Christ in all of Scripture. This is Genesis chapter 26, verses 1 through 6, the covenant confirmed to Isaac. God sometimes uses external circumstances to move his people. In this case, there was another famine in the land, as there had been in Abraham's time, when he went down to Egypt. So Isaac moves his family to a place called Gerar, where Abraham had previously stayed. Gerar was located between Palestine and Egypt, about 10 miles south of Gaza. The people known as Philistines lived there and were the early sailors of the Mediterranean. At this point, they were not hostile to each other. The ruler of the area was called Abimelech, king of the Philistines. It's believed to be a title rather than a name, as too much time has passed for this to be the same Abimelech whom Abraham encountered. While there, God appears to Isaac for the first time. He warns him against going down to Egypt, as his father did during the first famine, but he is to live in the land where God directs him. He tells him to stay where he is, in Gerar, for a while, and God would be with him and bless him. Then he reaffirms the covenant he made with Abraham. For to you and your descendants I will give all these lands, and will confirm the oath I swore to your father Abraham. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and will give them all these lands. And through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed, because Abraham obeyed me and did everything I required of him, keeping my commands, my decrees, and my instructions. The three main aspects of the Abrahamic covenant land, descendants, and blessing to all nations are linked to Abraham's obedience. Isaac would remember very well that obedience climaxed with the day his father almost sacrificed him, recorded in chapter 22. So Isaac obeys and stays in Gerar. Verses 7 to 11, like father, like son. Like Abraham, Isaac married a beautiful woman. Like Abraham, when he went among pagans, he feared for his own life. Like Abraham, he lied about the relationship in order to protect himself by claiming Rebekah was his sister instead of his wife. Abraham did this twice in chapters 12 and 20. There is nothing in his selfish conduct to be commended or excused. He should have learned from the cautionary tale he would have heard from his father and not followed his bad example. Matthew Henry says, the falls of those who have gone before us are so many rocks on which others have split, and the recording of them is like placing buoys to save future mariners. Scripture records it as a true record of an event, not as a behavior to be followed. From Scripture, we see that even the best of men are men at best. It also gives us trust in the Scriptures, since if it was untrue, it wouldn't record the heroes of the faith in such a poor light. This time, the truth was not discovered by plague or by supernatural visit by God, but by plain evidence. Abimelech was just about, just happened to look out a window and he saw Isaac caressing his wife in public. This was a PDA, or a public display of affection. Abimelech summons Isaac to him and says, She is really your wife. Why did you say she is my sister? Isaac admits, Because I thought I might lose my life on account of her. Like Abraham, Isaac is rebuked publicly for his sin of lying because it could have affected Abimelech and his people and they feared the wrath of God. 
This king may have heard what happened previously and had known about this family. He says, what is this you have done to us? One of the men might well have slept with your wife and you would have brought guilt upon us. No response is recorded from Isaac. What can he say? Abimelech is right. It was wrong to lie. It would have been humiliating for Isaac to be thus corrected. The sins of believers stand out even more when an unbeliever is more righteous. So Abimelech orders his people to steer clear of them on pain of death. Anyone who harms this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. This is how the Lord protected his people. He did it with Abraham in Genesis 20, and he'll do it later with Jacob in Genesis 31. Psalm 105 explains this. He allowed no one to oppress them. For their sake he rebuked kings. Do not touch my anointed ones. Do my prophets no harm. Verses 12 to 22, Isaac's prosperity and water wars. As God had promised him, Isaac remained in the land and was blessed by the Lord. He was a successful farmer with a bumper crop of a hundred times the usual yield. Then, in the Hebrew poetic form of threes, we are told Isaac became rich and his wealth continued to grow until he became very wealthy. The New King James Version uses the same word for emphasis. It says the man began to prosper and continued prospering until he became very prosperous. So both Abraham and later Jacob are also described in the same way. So although some believers may be blessed with physical wealth, that is not the norm, in spite of what the health and wealth preachers may say. So this prosperity results in envy by the Philistines as they see Isaac's many flocks, herds, and servants. They respond by stopping up the wells that were dug in the time of Abraham. By filling them with earth, it was a serious act of aggression. Water was a precious resource, and to deprive someone of it could result in war. And this was similar strife. Um, to during the time of Abraham between his servants and the servants of Abimelech. So Abimelech sees it differently. He would rather Isaac leave the area. So he says, move away from us. You have become too powerful for us. In Egypt, Pharaoh will also be suspicious of the large number of Israelites, even in the absence of evidence. Isaac could have retaliated, but instead he moves away and settles in the valley of Gerar. He reopens other wells that had been dug at the time of his father, which the Philistines had stopped up after Abraham died. Why they didn't just use them themselves, I don't understand. Nevertheless, Isaac renames them with the same names his father had given them. In the valley where he was living, his servants dug and found a well of fresh water, but the herders of the area disputed with them and claimed it was theirs. So he named the well Essek, which means quarrel. A second well elicited the same response, so he named it Sitna, which means enmity. He moves on from there and tries again. This time there is no quarreling, so he names it Rehoboth, which means spacious, because he said, Now the Lord has given us room, and we will flourish in the land. It didn't matter that he had been driven out of the region. God made room for him elsewhere. Verses 23 to 25, Worship at Beersheba. So Isaac goes to Beersheba, and the Lord appears to him there to assuage his anxiety. This is now the second time God has appeared to him directly, 
but the third time Isaac has heard his voice. He says, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bless you and will increase the number of your descendants for the sake of my servant Abraham. It is an abbreviated version of the covenant, mentioning only descendants and blessing. But he understands Isaac is afraid. But it's the presence of God that drives out fear. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. Isaac's response to this reassurance from God is worship. He builds an altar there and calls on the name of the Lord. And this is what Abraham had done also. Verses 26 to 33, Isaac's covenant with Abimelech. Abimelech hears of Isaac's prosperity and is now even more afraid of him. Proverbs 21.1 tells us, In the Lord's hand the king's heart is a stream of water that he channels toward all who please him. So Abimelech arrives along with a personal advisor and Phicol, the commander of his forces. Again, Phicol is also probably a title rather than a proper name, since 90 years have passed since Abraham dealt with another Abimelech and Phicol. He probably brought them to intimidate Isaac as their predecessors had with Abraham. Isaac is rightly suspicious of their motives since he had sent him away when he saw how prosperous he had become. He asks, why have you come to me since you were hostile to me and sent me away? They respond, we saw clearly that the Lord was with you. So we said, there ought to be a sworn agreement between us, between us and you. Let us make a treaty with you that you will do us no harm, just as we did not harm you, but always treated you well and sent you away peacefully. And now you are blessed by the Lord. They recognized God's blessing on Isaac, but fear him as a potential threat. They want Isaac to promise not to harm them, but they spin their earlier actions as treating him well and sending him away peacefully. Isaac could argue about this, but doesn't. They hope by establishing a treaty between them, they will both benefit. Isaac had viewed them as hostile to him, but a peaceful solution is always preferable, so he agrees. Proverbs 16.7 tells us, When the Lord takes pleasure in anyone's way, he causes their enemies to make peace with them. The ratification of a covenant usually involved a banquet meal. Since they are Isaac's guests, he is neighborly and prepares the feast. Since they have traveled some distance, they stay the night. The next morning they swear an oath to each other, and Isaac sends them on their way peacefully. And this was reminiscent of a similar oath between their ancestors in Genesis 21. Then, as a confirmation of God's blessing, that same day Isaac's servants came to announce they had found more water. What a blessing to have clean water, when throughout the world it is not the case. That we have it in abundance should make us even more thankful. He calls the well Sheba, or Well of the Oath, and the surrounding town becomes known as Beersheba. It is in the south of the promised land of Canaan, and in the future, whenever people want to describe the whole land, they say from Dan in the north to Beersheba in the south. When people are unkind and disappoint us, that is when we see God's goodness to us shine brighter. We should not be surprised when the world is hostile to us, but we should rejoice when God brings about a peaceful solution and our failure to retaliate is blessed. Verse 34, Esau's marriage. Like his father Isaac, Esau marries at the age of 40. 
But unlike his father, who was concerned to marry within his family and faith, Esau marries not one but two Hittite women, Beeri and Bazimath. We are told they were a source of grief to Isaac and Rebekah, as we would be grieved if our children married unbelievers, since it will not only affect them but their children. He could hardly be surprised to lose his father's blessing. Scarlet Threads So what scarlet threads or hints of Jesus Christ or an application to the Gospel do we find in this chapter? Both Abraham and Isaac lived lives of obedience to God and were commended by him. We see that God approves of obedience and we should always seek to please him. Like his father, Isaac was willing to lie to save his own skin. We must use wisdom in how we deal with unbelievers, so we don't bring shame on the name of Christ. God understands Isaac is afraid. It's the presence of God that casts out fear. I haven't counted them myself, but I've read that the Bible says, Fear not, or don't be afraid, 365 times, or one for every day of the year, so we should never be afraid. God turned a potential dysfunctional and volatile situation into a peaceful coexistence. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. We are to be peacemakers. The ratification of a covenant usually involved a banquet meal. We see this again when Jesus initiates the new covenant. Abraham was called my servant by God. And that's a great thing to be called. It would later be used of Job, Moses, uh, David, the Israelites, and the prophets. But Jesus was the ultimate servant of the Lord. Esau was foolish to marry outside of the family of faith, and it became a source of grief to his parents. We must be careful to marry only believers. You've been listening to the podcast Bible Companion series by author P.H. Thompson. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and comment. Continue listening for Genesis chapter 27. May God bless the study of his word.